I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to uh, Ausbiz Live from our Barangaroo studios. Great to have your company for the call. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. Our two experts are four today. Howard Coleman from Team Invest here in the studio. Howard, welcome. Good to oh, see you. Great on this to Wednesday. be with you, David. And uh, Andrew Whelan from uh, DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba. I was hanging out with a bunch of Queenslanders in Queenstown last week, some from Toowoomba. And so I checked, I character referenced you with them. And they said, oh, oh no, 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 he's a good bloke. <laughs> so can you remember remind me who I need to send that 50 bucks to I'll catch up oh uh, yes exactly I'll send the details through uh, how are you sir yeah. you good how's beautiful Toowoomba yeah Toowoomba's going well and as I was just sharing off here before I'm about to move so you know when you're in a, any particular place home or whatever and you've been 20 odd years you accumulate, can I say the word crap? Yep. Accumulate a lot of crap. <laughs> so uh, we're uh, working through said crap at the moment. So yeah, a bit, uh, bit going on, but very excited. Koshi should be, and of course, Carnival Flowers here in Toowoomba. A great time of year to be in Toowoomba as well. Oh, yes. Oh, nice. Always on the uh, promotion. Are you moving closer to the Empire Theatre or further away from it, which is like the, the Taj Mahal <laughs> of Toowoomba, is it? The, the jewel in the crown, I think you meant to say. Um, yep. Yeah, we, uh, we're literally around the corner where our current premises is. Sadly, we're moving about a kilometre in the wrong direction. Oh. The new space, though, is much better, you know, for a number of different reasons. But it's still a short walk, so it's oh, not too okay. bad. And given well my current uh, weight-enhanced state, walking is not a bad thing. Yep, excellent. All right. Let's take a look. Let's get down to business. Take a look at the five stocks we'll be covering this half hour. Southern Cross Electrical Engineering. Uh, Newix, uh, Australian Ethical, Northern Star Resources and Appen. Uh, stock of the day, KMD Brands. Um, thought we'd, uh, that's in the news this morning. Uh, full year net profit slipped six tenths of a percent, uh, just shy, shy of 40 million uh, Kiwi dollars. Uh, of course, KMD is the old Kathmandu. Uh, as cost of living pressures hits its Kathmandu segment. Uh, revenue, though, was higher, up 13% to a record $1 billion final dividend of $0.03 cents a share. Uh, Group Managing Director Michael Daly said the fourth quarter was more challenging due to increased cost of living pressures, softening consumer sentiment and the warmest winter on record. Um, Howard Coburn, what did you think of uh, KMD Brands, Kathmandu, uh, the update at the moment and the, and the share price at the moment? Yeah, the, the sad thing about this company is, in fact, over the last 10 years, it's more than trebled uh, its sales. It's gone from 310 million in 213 to about a billion now, um, 10 years later. Uh, and yet at the same time, the profits are lower than they were 
when the total revenue was a third of what it is today. Jeez. So obviously their margins are really being squeezed. They've gone from making you know, 10, 11% net profit margin down to around about three or even fractionally sub 3%. Not a good sign. Um, you know, return on equity the last few years has been pretty poor. Um, earnings, uh, as I say, heading in the wrong direction. Uh, hasn't got an enormous amount of debt, so that looks okay. And it's dirt cheap. So, you know, for somebody who uh, is saying to themselves, maybe it'll turn around, uh, it's only on an 11 PE, but to me, they're far better retailers that none of our right. team invest members would be enthused about this one. And, and that's the issue, Howard, is that if you're looking at the retail sector, we actually have some really good companies there to we choose do. from. We're spoiled Absolutely. for choice. Yeah, you know, the, the fortunate thing is there's a small number of incredibly well-run retailers. And those are the ones you want to be invested in. Um, but uh, if we have a really big recession, um, many of the others will be wiped out. But they're not going to be wiped out. No. They'll probably benefit from all the trade that would have gone to the others who are now being wiped out. Uh, if there's only a slight recession, everybody suffers. Yep. But if there's a big recession, um, some get wiped out and the others benefit. Right. And they increase their market share. Um, Andrew, what do you think of KMD Brands? You know, Koshing, I, uh, I sort of have my traffic light system, you yes. know, red, green, amber, and, uh, you know, a couple of my amber lights in particular. Henry and I talk uh, a lot about sort of the, the language that's used in company announcements or reporting. And uh, as you just spoke about at the top of the show, the challenging um, outlook or uh, market conditions to use uh, KMD's language. So whenever someone uses the word challenging, that's an amber light that pops up straight away. Um, I also have a look at the daily trade. So, you know, it's a $500 million company, only $216,000 a day traded. So that's pretty light on. Um, so it shows you that the institutions are probably a little bit underwhelmed. Technically, it looks pretty ordinary when we saw that chart just before. It's basically going sort of top right to bottom left. That's certainly the antithesis of what you want. And then some of the metrics that Howard was just talking about, poor return on equity, that's 6%, poor profit margin. Uh, PE is pretty challenging relative to that forecast earnings per share. So I can think of lots of reasons not to be there. It is an avoid. Okay. All right. Let's get into uh, the stocks that uh, you want us to take a look at. And um, David um, wants a view on Southern Cross Electrical Engineering. Andrew, I don't think this has ever come up on the call before. And David says that it seems to have the right hallmarks of excellent growth potential, as it is a large contractor for mining infrastructure, civil works and corporate electrification and decarbonisation. Everyone agrees is a long runway of opportunity, currently offering a 6.2% fully franked yield. Are you as uh, positive on Southern Cross Electrical, Andrew, as David is? David sounds very positive on it, doesn't yes. he? And uh, good luck to David. Um, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. I wouldn't say that I'm well, enamoured with it. And again, I've been, you know, you and I have been lucky enough to be stuck with each other for the last three or four years. Uh, and, you know, I've got a bit of a library here of companies we've looked at, and certainly SKE hasn't popped up in my time. 
I look at the fact that they've got 77 million in the bank, they've got no debt, their return on equity is above 10%, so that's always a good start. And they've got a really good client base, which uh, blue chip client base, the likes of Coles, et cetera, that's giving them about 40% of their revenue over the last seven years. So they've got a really solid business. Important to note, however, Koshi, 83% of their business is one off. So in other right. words, they do a transaction, right. move on to the next one. Whereas in my world, I guess I like these annuity style businesses. You know, you've got some visibility or look through as to where the revenue is coming from. David's certainly right around some of those thematics that he's talking about, you know, decarbonisation, electrification, and certainly that sort of this company plays into that. But there's just a lot of one offs, you know, do this job, then this job, then this job. Whereas right. I like businesses right. where you've got that visibility piece. You've got Thorny Investments, which owns about 16% of the business. That's certainly a positive, but equally so, only about 18% of the, the share register is institutionally held. So in other words, you've got about 50, 60% of the book, which is basically um, sort of mums and dads or employees of the business. So again, it doesn't have a lot of look through from the market and there's no consensus. Right. Nobody actually follows it as such. So look, on balance, it looks interesting. The chart, which we just saw before, bottom left to top right. So that's a positive. But there's probably just a couple of question marks there for me. So I would say it's a hold. Okay. All right. A hold if you're in it. Uh, Howard, um, does it pass Team Invest filters? Well, um, almost. Right. Um, it's, it's had return on equity greater than requirement for our filters this year, right. but that's the first year in 10 years that its return on equity has exceeded 10%. Right. Now, we want consistently high return on equity. We'd like it to be all 10 years. Right. Uh, this has had one year out of 10. The year before was just below 10. The others are much lower than that. Uh, earnings are growing, which is a positive. As uh, Andrew mentioned, there's no debt, which is a positive. But uh, it's hard to get enthused about a company that's only one year had 10% return on equity. And while the thematic is good, you always got to remember as an investor, how many shares do you really want in your portfolio? So you could make a case for this. It's not that bad. But would it be among the top 20 or 25 or 15 or 30 or whatever it is that you want to own in your portfolio? And, and I would think most people could find a lot better ones than, than this one. Right. Um, it's not all that expensive. It's on a P of 11, as uh, 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 Richard mentioned, David, David mentioned. Yep. Um, it's got quite a decent yield. Um, so, you know, it's not, not something I would say horrors right. about, but I certainly wouldn't, and no team investment member, I think, would look at this right. and be enthused. But if you're in it, yeah. would you uh, yeah, if you'd you're continue in to hold it? Yeah, I or mean, it's had a big run up. It's at a five-year high at the moment. Do you take some profits? Well, we never look at it that way. We always say, right. do, you, do you really want to own this business for the next five years or don't right. you? Uh, if you're in it and dividend yield is important to you, the chances are with what it does that it's going to be reasonably busy for the next little while. But yep. as Andrew said, there's no recurring business. It's yep. nearly all one-offs. And that's always a worry. You've got to be out there beating the bushes, finding new business all the time. Right. Okay. So. If I owned it, I'd sell it. But uh, right. uh, uh, people who are more looking at yield all the time may say, right. "Okay, I'm happy to stick with a six okay. percent yield." So hold hold for yield if that's what you're after. Otherwise, take some profits. 
All right, our next stock, uh, Richard wants a view, Andrew, on a uh, stock that's um, um, had a colourful history over the last year or two, Newix. Uh, um, Richard wants a view on that. Software-related company um, has had some uh, governance issues and the like um, over the last year or two and a lot of media coverage. What do you think of Newix? I was wondering how you were going to introduce that Koshi and how many runs legal you'd had to make sure you got that language right. Um, it certainly has had a, uh, a colourful uh, start to uh, trading on the ASX. Uh, look, out of all the ones we're going to talk about today, this is probably one of the few, one of the ones that I'm least enthused about, which is interesting because if you think about the actual underlying business, the underlying business should actually be really interesting relating to sort of um, software intelligence, um, analytics, you know, trying to detect, detect fraud, all that sort of stuff. Like the actual underlying business itself should be fine. It's sort of all the, the management, um, that management's uh, focus, as opposed to my focus at the moment, management's focus on being able to sort of deliver on the business rather than all that other noise that you just alluded to before. Um, it's actually looking pretty expensive. It's 46 times earnings. And uh, I note consensus is $1.25. I mean, it's been a trader's dream when all that negative publicity is about. I think it got beaten up to about 50 cents. Remembering that the business floated at $5, went to 11, and then sort of bottomed out at 50. So as a trading company, it's great. But from an investment point of view, if I was to put my investor's hat on, there's still lots of noise going on at the moment. It's looking expensive. Uh, the other one, and maybe Howard might have a comment on this, noting that 64% of the assets on the balance sheet are intangibles. That is another big amber light for me as well, because you know my dollar valuation intangibles might be different to yours versus Howard's. So that's certainly an amber light as well. And then the, the final icing on the cake, if I can put it that way, is a return on equity and a margin of less than 1%. So you've got lots of noise, issues around finance, not issues, but certainly subpar performance and financial versus some of the others. Um, it's a trader's dream. If there's an opportunity to take a profit and then buy it back when everyone hates it again, that's the way to play this. So it's 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 a hold at best. Okay. All right. Howard, what do you think of Newix? Yeah, I mean, don't know that I can add an enormous amount to that. The, the way we run our software and the metrics that we use, we don't even show it as making a profit. We show it as still running at a loss. Right. And, um, you know, uh, on the basis that it's made a loss every year, um, we're certainly not enthused about it. But I think the most important thing when you look at any company is you are trusting the management of that company with your capital. So you've got to have a very, very high element of trust that they will run your capital really well. And, um, you know, you're not running the business yourself. If you're running the business yourself, well, you make all the decisions. But um, where you're trusting others to run it, as Warren Buffett says, um, trustworthiness and management's the most important thing. Now, it doesn't mean oh, that they're not crooks. You know, the opposite of trustworthiness it, it isn't that the people are necessarily crooked. It's can you uh, rely on them to run your capital well? And I don't think we could, at this stage, say that here. Uh, as I say, according to our metrics, it's been losing money every year. Right. Um, therefore, it's got no return on equity. Uh, its share price has gone from, as Andrew mentioned, listing at five, getting up to almost 12, down to $1.41 at the moment. Um, 
there's nothing about it that would make me do anything other than shudder. And I'm sure if I raised the subject in a team invest meeting, everybody would laugh. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, our next talk pro- probably appropriate to uh, uh, to follow that. Um, Andrew uh, is Australian Ethical, uh, Australian Ethical Fund, sort of a uh, listed investment company rather than sort of an ETF as a. Yeah, it pains me, Koshi. You know, I thought you had me here for ETFs and you start rolling at LICs. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I understand. You know, I, I know I know where I fit into things here at Oscars. Um, uh, look, seriously, it is, uh, it's an interesting business. It's an interesting business. Um, and, and I might just sort of start off by saying last week, uh, State, uh, S&P rather, S&P came out with their most recent speeder research talked about the roles of fund managers and active managers so we're not just talking about AEF but you know you can throw Magellan and Perpetual all these ones in there over 15 years 81% chance that they won't meet the market so again just keep that in mind and everything we're talking about with this particular company right so they've got about nine billion dollars funds under management 74 75,000 customers two-thirds of their fun thumb is in super which is great very sticky and growing you know mandated by the government to grow by 11 percent for people who are in accumulation mode not a bad margin they're making about eight percent and recently they've had some pretty strong performance ROE is excellent. Return on equity is excellent. It's 25%, but you're being asked to pay for that. You know, it's a pretty high PE. Um, so, look, on, on balance, again, I'm sort of probably biased against active managers. There's some that do pretty well. So, again, coming back to that S&P number I just gave you before, that therefore means there's 19% that are doing pretty well. Potentially AEF might fit into that, but from my perspective, Uh, I'd probably prefer to go down that sort of ETF path. So if I was looking in Australia, I'd probably look at maybe something like E200. It's an interesting one. A fair from BetaShares. State Street have got E200. Um, Fair from BetaShares is another one. And if I was looking globally, something like VESG from Vanguard. So there's a whole whole lot of different ways to play the ESG bent. But active managers, I think about that speed of research all the time and I just think... There might be periods of time where they go, okay, but 15 years, it's a long time. Yeah. They've got to be right on top of it, otherwise they're going to struggle. So what what are the so, fee, fees of the ETF and compared with Australian Ethical? Yeah, I, I will, whilst Howard's doing his bit, I'll do a quick bit of research on that. Yeah. But off the top of my head, I would say that probably the fees of the ETF would be about, of the ETFs rather, would be about half of AEF. But right. I'll do some oh, quick research. Okay. Howard, what do you think of Australian ethical? Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that either. So I'm an- glad Andrew's going to have a look at that. <laughs> but um, we, we always have a joke in um, Team Invest, and that is that um, if something is called the Democratic Republic of you know for sure one thing it isn't. Right. (laughs) Um, So whenever Australian ethical comes up, there's always a laugh about uh, why did they put that in their name? And the chances are that it certainly helps their PE be higher. Now, like all managed funds, it has very little capital requirements. Uh, Managed funds are capital light. You don't need big machinery. You don't have to dig holes in the ground. Uh, So it's capital light. So you'd expect very high return on equity and no debt. And sure enough, their return on equity sort of averaged high 20s, low 30s over the 10 years. So that's very good, but normal for a fund. Yep. Um, the uh, debt, non-existent other than a bit of leases, 
again as you'd expect. But what is disappointing is the last four years, its earnings per share been pretty flat. Now, the last year you can say, okay, that's not that surprising. Mm. But leading up to that, markets were doing quite well. But it's also on a PE, which I think uh, Andrew mentioned as well. You, you're certainly paying for it. Yeah, whoops, if I can just get my software there. It's on a PE of 56. 56? Yeah, 56. You're paying a hell of a lot of money yeah. for this particular fund. Now, most fund managers tend to trade in the range 15 to 25. Um, so this is double a manager's PE? Usually. Wow. You know, occasionally the market gets carried away with a particular manager and they go up. Yeah. But 56 is really, really high. Yeah. So uh, on that basis, um, we certainly wouldn't be enthused about it. And, uh, you know, if it was on a PE of half of that, it may be worth doing some research. Right. But on that PE, um, I don't think anybody of ours would even say it's worth spending any time looking at. ESG is a big filter for a lot of investors, isn't it? Yes. And sort of when you have ethical in the name of it, it's an easy sort Absolutely. of revert to to say, okay, I'm going to put a percentage in my portfolio. In Makes ESG. you look good. Yeah. And you can feel good about yourself. Right. Um, so it's the current fashion. And these fashions change. You know, at one stage it was the go-go shares, it was the nifty 50, it's the ethical ones. And there'll be something else uh, in the next decade because the next generation yeah. will want to have their own thing. Yeah. It's a bit like uh, I always remember my Harvard class learning that um, perfumes, um, the smell that your mother and grandmother used, there'd be two different yeah. ones, no teenager will use. Right. So the uh, from a, a perfume manufacturer's <laughs> point of view, every 10 years they've got to come out with a with new smell. New. Yep. Um, but p- taking the ESG part out of it from a performance point of view... It's not that it exciting for a no. 56 PE. Right. Okay. Um, Andrew, have, have we given you enough time? Thank you for this question without notice. Sorry to put you on the no, spot. No, no, that's fine. And then I might circle back to Howard on ESG because I think it's an important point. Um, so, again, literally with the three minutes you gave me, thank you. Yeah, uh, I It looks at – no, it's all, it's all good. So, basically, Australian Ethical, and I'm just going to pick balanced there. Um, and, again, maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing, but it seems as though their ongoing fees are around 0.75% per annum, 75 basis points, okay? Right. So – Probably a fairer comparison is growth at 100 basis points, 1%. So FAIR, which is the beta shares product, uh, it is, I had it there just before, 0.49, so right. half, so it wasn't right. a bad guess. Vanguard, uh, 0.13, right. and right. State Street is 0.13. Right, okay. So so, so, so that really speaks to the, the performance piece. Right. That if Australian Ethical are performing right. well, you'd happily pay them. But if they're not, and they're in that, you know, 81% over 15 years, very briefly on ESG, because I know we're pressed for time, um, when, uh, you might remember, Koshi, I did a study tour to the US in 2018. We spent a week with um, Standard and Paul's, and one of the big areas that we spent some time on was around ESG. And what we found during that time is that companies that actually are ESG-focused, you know, they're ethically run, they've got a social conscience, and they actually do what they're meant to do from a governance point of view, they actually tend to outperform other businesses. Because mm. if you think about it, they're mm. playing by the rules, Absolutely. they're doing the right things. And so, interestingly, even, even though I get the fact that ESG could be considered as a, a trend, really, 
if people just ran their businesses from an ESG point of view as a shareholder, you're going to get a better outcome anyway. Right, you're right. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the only trouble is everybody nowadays says they do, even if they don't. Right. That's right. the problem. But, yeah. but yes, there's no doubt. Uh, all the research that's been done over the years shows that businesses that are run ethically and with the right intentions outperform in the long term the ones that aren't. Yep. Okay. That's the companies that eth- ethic wash. Is that a word at the moment? Greenwashing. Like greenwashing. Yeah, exactly. Ethic wash. All right. Um, Andrew, Jason wants a view. Let's go uh, back to the resources and the gold sector. Uh, Jason wants a view on um, arguably one of our top, top three gold miners, Northern Star. Yeah, I'm going to try and channel my inner Henry Jennings, which is, I can't do. You and I both know that's just... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's I'm only one Henry Jennings. <laughs> yes, I'm looking at his pictures from Barcelona at the moment and incredibly jealous. Um, yeah, now a $13 billion company, wow. about $43 million a day turned over. So it's, as you're saying, it's arguably one of our largest ones, but it's really highly leveraged to that gold price. So when we're looking at this company, it's like, what's going to happen to gold? Um, you know, inflation does seem to be moderating what's happening with US rates, what's happening within, um, in, uh, what's happening sort of from that geopolitical point of view. So there's a few sort of uh, plates being spun at the moment as to what's going on with gold. Probably the big thing, Koshi, from when we last looked at this is the cost of production for them is now about $1,759 an ounce. And that's up about 10%. And we're seeing a lot of um, resource businesses having extreme cost pressures coming on through. Still about a 37% margin. They're sitting on about $260 million net cash. But probably the key thing that investors need to think about is they're really trying to drive down those costs. But to do that, it's a bit counterintuitive, but they've really got to ramp up their capital expenditure and it'll push them sort of into a lower cost bracket. So in the short term, there's going to be some real impacts potentially on cash flow on dividends because they're trying to drive down those costs. You're being asked to pay 22 times earnings, pretty ex- pretty expensive, but on a projected 35% earnings per share growth for next year. So, And it's trading uh, about a dollar odd below consensus. So, look, I'd be comfortable buying this because it is a quality business, but you've just got to remember that there's a lot of capex and in a world where there's labour issues, supply chain issues, inflation in general, if they don't control that capex spend, it could blow out and come back to bite them. But on balance, buy. Okay, Howard. Okay. Yeah, among gold miners, it probably would be the one if I was interested in a gold miner that I would like. Yeah. But the last three years, its return on equity has been pretty low. It's been less than 10% every year for the last three. Used to be very high. It used to be in the 20s and 30s. And part of the reason for that is all the enormous capex that's involved in this kind of business. Digging holes and putting together a plant for it and so on. Crushing it. Not cheap. And the, the problem really, and Andrew touched on that as well, is where's the gold price going? Now, nobody really knows. What we do know, if you look at it long term over about a couple of thousand years, gold has not kept up with inflation. It's always had odd little spurts, we did better than inflation, but an ounce of gold buys you real things much less than it used to. And if we just look at from an Australian point of view, 150 odd years ago, people got on ships from all over the world, gave up what they were doing, left their families behind to come to Australia to dig up some gold and get rich. They did the same to South Africa. 
Who would do that today? Yep. You don't get rich doing that. There are far easier ways to get rich doing that. In fact, hardly any of them ever did get rich. Okay, but gold's meant to be a hedge against inflation. It's meant to be, but that's because it's always said that it right. is, but it isn't really. And the fall in the Australian dollar at the moment, that would Helps be them. good for our gold producers. Absolutely, because they're getting paid in US dollars. So that helps a bit. It's more a hedge against the Aussie dollar than it is a hedge against inflation. Inflation. So of the gold miners, yeah, it'd be the one probably that you'd want to go for. But there's a lot of money always that gets spent before it gets earned with gold mines. And um, it's hard to see it becoming a wealth winner. There are very, very few gold mines worldwide that have ever been wealth winners for their shareholders. Right. So a no from you, but if you're in it yeah, and I you, mean, have, you look, want gold exposure, I, 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 that's the best one for And I certainly so wouldn't criticise anybody for owning Northern Star. Okay. Uh, it's the best in the area. Okay. All right. If it's stock, uh, Tom wants a view, Howard, on Appen, the, uh, the tech, well, uh, I say it's a tech business, AI-focused um, business. Um, it really um, feeds into AI in an old-fashioned way, doesn't it? Sort of teaches the um, um, the algorithms how to recognise pictures and visions. And the, it, ta- uh, it, it tags things so that the AI gets used to knowing what yes. something is. Yeah. And, you know, as a company, this was a really looked like exciting company and i remember oh, about five years darling. ago yeah. oh absolutely every time i was on air somebody asked about Appen, yeah. and it got up to a price of i think 40 there you are 42 dollars 44 cents a share wow. it's now a dollar 24. this has been a terrible capital killer and it's been a capital killer because everybody got carried away with the fact that it was related to AI, and AI was an early buzzword. It's become a bigger buzzword now. Yep. Um, but the company doesn't actually make much money. And in fact, last year, it lost more money than it made in the three years previous put together. Wow. So for several years now, every time they've reported their half yearly or yearly report, they've explained why things didn't turn out as well as they thought they were going to. Now, you don't pay management to have things turn out poorly. Mm. You pay management to have things turn out well. So when challenges arise, it's the management's job to sort it out. If it was a sporting team, you get rid of the coach, you find yourself another coach, and uh, you you don't put up with poor performance. And that's what this company's been all about. It's been an incredible disappointment. And some years ago, uh, I listened to one of the investor briefings after a half yearly or annual report and the CEO admitted he didn't know why they'd done so badly. Well, why'd you get a check? Um, you know, why pay him? Um, so, uh, no, definitely a no from us. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, are you any more positive? Well, that's a low benchmark with due respect to... Uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, <laughs> So, sorry, Howard, I've got to pick no, up no. somebody. It's just in my DNA. Uh, that, 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 was, that was fine. I thought it was oh, cute. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, no. No is the short answer. Um, I think Howard's explained it really well. There's lots of reasons not to like this business. We made great money on it when things were roaring along. You know, if there's a lesson to be learned, don't fall in love with the business. 
And the moment that the wheels are falling off, even if management can't explain it, the market is trying to tell you by virtue of the share price. Because as we know, gentlemen, the market is always right. Mm. So um, we got out, thankfully, at the right time. Um, I mean, to me, again, a couple of very quick minor things. New CEO, that's an amber light. Using the word challenging, that's an amber light. Um, 100 million in intangibles on the balance sheet. When the balance sheet is not that great to begin with, that's another amber light. So, and probably the my favourite one, if I can be sarcastic for a moment, is uh, down 64% per annum over the last three years. That is a special effort. So there is lots of reasons not to be here. All right. And, and in fact, if I could just add point. one thing on, on Goodwill and the balance sheet. Um, Charlie Munger always calls Goodwill badwill. Um, and the, the amusing thing about Goodwill is if you've got three different sets of auditors to look at exactly the same company and they didn't know what the others had said, you'd get three different valuations right. on yeah. the Goodwill. Yeah, it is so subjective, isn't it? Totally. Uh, all right, let's uh, recap the first um, uh, half hour of the program. Six stocks, Kathmandu, stock of the day. A no from both Andrew and Howard. Uh, Southern Cross Electrical, um, a hold from both if you're in it. Um, uh, Howard would be taking some profits at these levels. Uh, but can understand if you want to hold it for yield because it's got a yield, good yield um, payout at the moment of over 6%. Uh, Newix a no from both Australian Ethical and no. Northern Star, uh, a buy from Andrew, a uh, hold from Howard doesn't like um, gold stocks particularly. If you had to have one, this would be as part of your portfolio. This would be the, the one to have, according to Howard, and Appen a no from both. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction uh, fantasy fund as picked by our investment committee. Um, the latest investment committee is on the platform now, osbit.com. Uh, let's see the September meeting traded out Paradigm Pharma, uh, replaced it with Challenger, which also received 1% trims from Altium and Paladin, and the fund is up around 11%. Uh, this half hour on the program, we're gonna kick it off with a ETF, the Bayonek Australian Resources ETF, IDP Education, ProMedicus, Fisher and Paykel, good question there, uh, comparing Fisher and Paykel with ResMed, which would the panel prefer? And we finish off with Chewas. All right, Whisperer, uh, let's kick off this half hour with an ETF, the Bayonek Australian Resources ETF. Chris wants a view on that. Thanks, Koshi. How's that merch deal coming along, by the way? Have you, have you progressed <laughs> any further? You, the bald head with the with... ETF Whisperer on it, yes. I reckon we might we Thank might you. we might do that as mugs for Christmas maybe. My people will talk to your people. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I, I I really like this one, Koshi. Uh, I and full disclosure, as you know, every time we talk about an ETF I own, I I tell you I own it. I own this. Uh, it's about seven percent of the famous Sarand Super Fund. Why do I own it? Um, I own it because I'm a big believer in the decarbonisation and electrification thematic that's coming at us. In fact, arguably, we're in it. Um, and so, therefore, uh, this is a great way to get exposure because, with due respect, I can't tell you whether BHP is better than Rio, better than Santos, better than Woodside, anything in that sort of resource space. So rather than me trying, my beautiful wife Sarah and I trying to figure that out, why wouldn't I just buy the basket? So that's really what we've done here. 
Um, main holdings, as I just alluded to. When you extended the A, when you said, oh, why not buy the bar? I thought you were going to use a rude word there. And you finish up no, with, no, I know, with basket. I know we've got the yeah, we've got the seven-second delay, Koshi. I'm mindful of that. Right. Um, but I hope we do. <laughs> anyway, um, but, yeah, main holdings are things like Woodside, BHP, Rio, et cetera. Our performance over one year up 27%, so it's been certainly very helpful to us. But even if we were to look further out over the last 10 years, it's up about 11% per annum. Uh, it's got exposure to metals and mining about 42%, oil and gas 12 and as we just spoke about, gold is 12%. And again, given all the uncertainty in the world, probably my only reason that you might want to just pause is simply coming back to that ESG conversation. And, and with 16% oil and gas, you're potentially going to have some stranded assets relating to fossil fuels. But on balance, I think decarbonisation, electrification, you need exposure to resources. This is the best way to do it. It's a buy. Okay. Howard, what do you think of it? Because I know you don't like resource mm. stocks because you can't, um, you don't know what the, the price of the commodity is going to be going forward and Absolutely. things like that. But does every portfolio need an exposure to resources here in Australia, considering resources stock to dominate market cap of the Australian market? Well, I grew up in and South Africa way of doing it. and my first interest in investing was in South Africa where resources dominated even yes. more than they do here. In fact, South Africa had very little other than resource companies on its stock exchange, a few others, but not much. And um, I really don't remember a time longer than a couple of years at a time where resources weren't going to be fabulous investments if you invested in them now. There's uh, always been a story put out by the resource industry as to why you have to be in resources. But in fact, resources overall, resource companies, they, it's almost impossible to find a handful of them that have ever been wealth winners. Right. So they, it's so capital intensive, these industries, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's coal, whether right. it's gold, whether it's lithium, they're all so capital intensive that nearly all the money that could have gone to shareholders lands right. up going into developing more holes. Okay, so you don't believe as part of a diversified portfolio, you need exposure to resources? It depends what you're trying to do. If you're right. trying to roughly equate to the market, of course you need them because right. the market has a lot of them. If you're trying mm -hmm. to invest well, you don't own them. Okay. I mean, I don't think Warren Buffett normally owns much of them, although recently bought into a couple of oil companies, um, but they were clearly trading things, which Warren doesn't normally do. It's probably Ted and Todd um, who, who run two portfolios under him. So no, I mean, I, I don't get it. And team invest members don't get excited right. about resource companies. but. You know, if, if you're trying to get a broad view of the Australian market, this would probably be a good way of doing some. Um, but no, we're not enthused about resource companies. You can do better finding very well-managed companies that aren't so capital intensive. Okay. All right. Um, our next stock, does that pass that filter? Uh, no sort of capital outlay? Um, a growth stock. Josh wants a view, Howard, on IDP Education. Um, basically, this, uh, this was a company started by universities uh, for international students to pass the English, English lesson, um, language tests. 
to to get into university. So all the universities said, oh, we'll start this company. So we own it and we'll get the benefit of all of these tests coming through with international students coming back to Australia. What do you think about IDP education? Yeah, I mean, this is terrific from a point of view of very little capital intensity at all. They recruit students for universities here and they also teach them English or improve the English or or test the English. In some cases, they're only testing the English. And the testing, of course, costs them virtually nothing. Um, You know, it's a process that's pretty simple. The student pays for the test. As long as they pass the test, they can come to an Australian university. Uh, And if they don't pass, they'll teach them a bit more and then they'll let them try again. get them passed. Yeah. So it's had high return on equity every year, except the GFC when the students couldn't come here. So return on equity sort of averaged, uh, looking across the graph here, uh, somewhere around about 30%. It's been growing its earnings pretty rapidly, around about 15% a year, except for that one year. Debt's been rising a little bit, and I'm always slightly surprised why, but it could be that as they've set up more training schools, um, they've got more leases on premises, and that's what's being counted in their debt. So overall, looks pretty good. Um, The one thing, of course, that uh, is not so exciting Mm. is the PE ratio is 45. Right. So like the company, I think it looks lovely, um, it doesn't have 10 years worth of history, which means we have to be a little bit more careful of it. But um, on a PE of 45, it's a bit expensive at the right. moment. You'd certainly, uh, it, it has had its PE down a little bit lower than that, down <coughs> about 38 in the last little while. So at a PE of somewhere about 35, it's probably not that bad considering it's growing fast, but it is somewhat expensive. Okay. But, but very good company. If you're in a holder. Definitely. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, Koshi, you've got to remember that if, if we go macro for a moment, we've got record level low, record low levels of unemployment, which is actually perversely a negative for the tertiary sector. They generally tend to get more students come through, be it either domestically or internationally, when the world economy is under some pressure because people can't find jobs, right, I'll need to tool up, I'll need to skill up. That's not the case at the moment. So the the demand piece is under a little bit of pressure for them. So that's probably something to bear in mind. I agree with everything that Howard's saying relating to the financials. 31% ROE, which is great. 15% margin. Trading below consensus. I think it's expensive as well. You know, in my in my figures, it's a P of 38 next year, but it's only, only 16% earnings growth. So it fails that peg ratio. So should it come under a little bit more pressure? It's certainly one to think about. But for me, it actually fails the macro test. So if you're in there, I hold it. I would yep. hold it rather, but it's not a buy. Yep. Okay, all right. A um, lot of international students coming back in too, isn't it? which are, is really good for the sector as part of that migration number coming through. It's improving 100% yeah. like compared to a couple of years ago, but yeah. it's still not where it could be. Right, okay. All right, uh, our next stock, uh, as asked by you, sent through. Matty wants a view, Andrew, on ProMedicus, the medical imaging company. Uh, it's turned into a global company. Uh, offices in Australia, Germany and America. Share prices shot the lights out over the last five years, has it? Yeah, again, you've been stuck with me for a few years and out of all the ones that we've spoken about, this is probably the one that I'm kicking myself on the most that I should have bought this because at 30 bucks, I think it first came up on the radar. I think Claude called it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Claude Walker from Um, Rich Life. Yep. 
Claude is all over it like a weight enhanced kid on a cupcake. He has absolutely <laughs> played it to perfection. Well done to you, Claude. So um, I, I really like the business a lot. Um, you know, it's all around the AI, it's around um, cloud, software as a service, absolutely ticks my annuity income box. Um, where are the issues? It's fully priced. And, you know, I'm basing that on two measures. I'm basing that on consensus earnings, con uh, consensus valuation rather. I'm also, though, basing that on the PE, Koshi, 99 times earnings wow. relative to forecast wow. EPS growth of 24%. But, you know, you're getting a company with a 50% return on shareholders' funds, a 44% margin. Uh, CEO owns a quarter of the business, which I like. You know, I like skin in the game. But equally so, does that scare some investors off because as the share price sort of continues to appreciate, they're going to continue to knock off shares. So that's potentially a bit of a down. So it pains me to say it, Koshi, but it's a hold. But if it was to fall in value, I would absolutely be buying this. I think it's a great business. Okay. But on current valuation... All right, let, let, let me challenge you. Have you been saying that? Has that stopped you over the last three, four years from doing it. that exact argument that it's looked expensive, but as it's turned out, it hasn't been. I feel like I need a couch in here, Koshi. <laughs> Andrew, tell me about your childhood. Um, no, you're right. Um, you're right. Um, at 50 bucks, I had the epiphany going, right, I'm into it. And then, you know, I just didn't do it. And, you know, I'm sure somebody will play this back in two years' time going, you idiot, you could have got it at 70 bucks and it was cheap. Uh, I, I, the one thing I'd say, Koshi, is that, you know, when we haven't had a decent share market volatility for, what, 12 months now? What's the VIX like? Yep. 13, 14. You want to buy this type of business when everyone is getting worked up and there's blood in the streets and the lead story on Seven News is the share markets, you know, plummeted, plummeted 2%. Right. That's the time that you want to buy this business. But when everyone's a bit complacent, it's okay. not the times you'd be buying. So you'd be holding, though, if you're in it. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, a hold, yeah. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Howard? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Andrew. I mean, this is one of those where we can actually say one of our members identified it early, brought it to Team Invest. We spoke about it, a member by the name of Angus. And um, there are probably at least 450 of our 600 members who own it. And cumulatively, we're in the top 10 shareholders right. of this business. In fact, I think after the two founders of the business, we are possibly, between our members, cumulatively, the biggest shareholder. Wow. Obviously, okay. we don't vote in, as yeah. one thing. Um, so our members have done extraordinarily well out of this. But as Andrew points out, it's on a ridiculous PE. Andrew was looking at the forward PE. We tend to look at the trailing PE. Our PE shows 122. And putting it in context, so and I don't think any team invest members are buying it now. They're all smiling at the fact that they own it, but nobody's buying it. Are they selling? Prices. Are they taking profits on it? I know there are a few who have, right. but generally the answer is no. no right. Uh, I own some. I'm sorry, I didn't buy more of them, but yeah. um, I'm very happy with the ones I've got. But there's a lovely little exercise you can do whenever you think a company's expensive. We call it knockoff three zeros. And the reason we say that is, as human beings, we don't cope with numbers in the billions terribly well. It's not that we don't know what the number is, but we can't really get our heads around yeah. spending that kind of money. So this is a company that makes $61 million last year in profit. Right. Knock off three zeros, that's 61,000. It's got a market cap of 7 billion. 
knockoff three zeros, that's a market cap of seven million. Would you pay seven million dollars for a business making $61,000 profit. Right. If I came to you and I said, there's a business I know, David, it makes $61,000 profit, would you pay $7 million for the business? Right. I'm sure you'd say no. No. Absolutely. However good the business was, you'd say no. And that's the point with this company. Absolutely brilliant business. Recurring revenue. Most of the contracts are five or seven years with big hospitals. So it, it really is a terrific business. High return on equity, no debt, growing earnings. But you wouldn't want to buy it right now. Now, it got down to $36 at the beginning of COVID. Right. And a hell of a lot of our members bought more just at that time. So they've roughly doubled their money since then. Most of them owned it before. Which, are, but they which is it. Andrew's point. You buy exactly. it when there's bun exactly. in the street. Exactly. Right. So what we really want is some real bad news that causes PME's share price to absolutely right. plunge. And then it'll be the most wonderful company to buy lots of. Right. Okay. So uh, having have your, your back here watch list, the five companies to buy in a market crash. Absolutely. And wait for that. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, but you'd, so you're still holding. Oh, oh you're in very that. happily, but yeah. I wouldn't buy any more. Okay. All right. We're going to stick to the uh, the healthcare um, uh, thematic at the moment. And uh, Varesh wants a view on Fisher and Paykel. Uh, Varesh says, how would you compare Fisher and Paykel to ResMed at today's prices, Howard? Uh, yeah, I think could you compare them? They're both big global health operators. Yeah, and I, I own both of them, so um, right. they are companies I follow quite a lot, and our members do too. Um, they're not as similar as people think. Most of ResMed's income comes from CPAP devices. So yep. in other words, they're helping people who have sleep apnea. Um, a small amount of their revenue and profits come from supplying hospitals. Fish and Parkle's the other way around. The vast bulk of its revenue comes from high flow devices uh, and humidifying devices in hospitals. Right. And a small part of their revenue and profits come from CPAP devices used in the home. So you're not quite comparing apples and apples. You may be comparing apples and pears. They're fairly similar, but not quite the same. Yep. Um, Looking at the two of them, uh, Fish and Paykel historically has had higher growth than ResMed and usually was therefore in a slightly higher P than ResMed. But ResMed got a lot of um, uh, uh, selling pressure in the United States in the last little while because these stories <coughs> came out about how Ozempic and the other weight loss drugs were going to remove the need for this. Now, that's a total beat up and nonsense. If you already have the problem that causes um, you to have sleep apnea because you were overweight. It doesn't go away when you lose the weight. The only thing it maybe does is stop some extra people getting overweight. But there are lots of people with CPAP problems who, yep. who need CPAP devices who were never overweight. Um, we've got a couple of members who slim who, who need it. So um, ResMed share prices dropped from over $40 to just over $20 in a period of 18 months. That's now made ResMed being on a PE of about 23, 24, whereas Fisher and Paykel is on a PE of, hang on a sec, it's I think about double that. I had it up a moment right. ago. Um, yep, over 50. 
Right. So you're paying half for ResMed what you're paying for Fisher and Paykel. Now, no franking credits on ResMed and the <clears throat> problems of a WBN that you've got to fill in every now and then because it's US listed. Um, Fish and Pikel, although it's based in New Zealand, you get bonus dividends to make up for the fact that you don't get the franking credits. Right. Um, so there are advantages to having Fisher and Pikel, but at the moment it's more expensive than ResMed. Right. So if at the moment I was buying anything, I'd be buying ResMed, and I in fact did buy some ResMed in the last few weeks. Right. I haven't bought any Fisher and Pikel recently, but if its share price halved, like right. ResMed has done, Yes, I'd be very happy buying so, it too. So you'd you'd hold Fisher and Paykel and buy ResMed at the moment. At the moment. Okay, Andrew. ResMed is a buy. Yeah. Um, it's a quality business down thirty percent in a month. Uh, again, I'm no medico, surprisingly, but from what I'm reading relating to the Osmec piece is that you need to continue with these injections. Um, and once, if and when the injections stop, then your uh, weight challenges, if I can put it so delicately, uh, return. So the market is overreacting. So ResMed is a quality business. Probably the only thing why you might wait is you just want it to turn technically. Uh, but from a fundamental point of view, in a shootout, poor, poor choice of words, uh, between ResMed and Fish and Pike, where you'd choose ResMed every day of the week, twice on Sundays. Right. So nothing wrong with Fish and Pike, but ResMed is the buy. Right. Uh, same with uh, uh, that Howard was talking about if you're in Fisher and Paykel, uh, happy to Not hold. To hold, hold there's, it. Nothing, yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But, you know, there's only a certain amount of money that can be allocated to healthcare. Yeah. And generally, healthcare companies tend to be overvalued. Yeah. So if you can buy, you, and Howard summed it up perfectly P of 50 versus 20 odd. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, pretty no simple from my point of view. But if you like it, you like Fisher and Paykel, there's nothing wrong with it, but ResMed is the better buy. Okay. And our final shot, Warren wants a view, Andrew, on Chuas, the uh, the Singapore-based telecommunications and mobile network. Yeah, hadn't hadn't learnt, hadn't known rather too much about this. So again, one of the benefits of doing this, I get a bit of education. So I did a quick bit of research. So from uh, it's the telco um, spun out from TPG. It's the yep. fourth operator in Singapore. Seven hundred thousand subscribers. Only about two hundred and eighty-eight thousand dollars a day in shares traded. So it's certainly not. Uh, as well traded, despite it being nearly a $900 million market cap. High capex to begin with, as you would expect. You know, they're starting to turn on 5G there. But once they and once they get more subscribers, then the, their loss will diminish and they'll get to the point of break even and then making a profit, as, as a, a number of these sort of infrastructure businesses are like. So no great surprise there. I noticed that a number of fund managers have been buying it. Wilson Asset Management most recently has been there in, in there buying it as well. Um, I don't mind it, but frankly, there's probably not enough information or track record on it. So if you're in there, it's a hold. Andrew the Boring would say buy Telstra under four bucks. It's under a bit of pressure at the moment. It's got an ex-dividend. You get your franking credits, but uh, certainly nothing wrong with this, but it's a hold in my view. Okay. Howard? Yeah, I mean, the positives for this company is it's run by David Teo, who built TPG, and he's a brilliant businessman. He he left TPG to go to this. Well, he started it while he was still in TPG. Which shocked everyone when he left TPG. Correct. And the other big shareholders are Washington Sol Patterson, who were involved with TPG as well. Right. So 62% of the shares are held by David Teo and Washington Sol Patterson. Right. 
Now, those are two extraordinarily reputable, trustworthy, look after the shareholders' capital uh, people in charge. Yeah. Um, so from that point of view, you're backing people with a phenomenally good track record. Yeah. The business itself, not very exciting at the moment. It's not making any money yet. Uh, Andrew pointed that out already. And um, the problem I always have in the sector, not just with this company, and I admire David Teo and, and uh, Robert Milner, um, the problem with the sector is everybody wants their phone service to be cheap. They also want their service to be outstanding and they want lots of data. Yeah. Now, you can't do all those things. You can either be expensive and have wonderful service or you can have wonderful, uh, you can have poor service and be cheap. Yeah. But the public doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very, very difficult business to make serious money for any length of time in. David Teo proved he could with TPG and turned that company into a wealth winner for a number of years. Uh, our members made a lot of money out of it, got out of it the moment we thought they were going to merge with, uh, um, can't remember who, yeah, yeah. but you know who it yeah. was, um, and got out at that time. Um, I don't think any members would be interested in this because yeah. it doesn't make any money yet, but it's certainly run by the kind of people you'd like looking after your money. So would you prefer to be in Solpats? Yeah, yeah might as well be in Solpats and have yeah, the as exposure. part of the portfolio. Absolutely. Okay. All right, let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. The Vanek um, uh, Australian Resources ETF, a buy from Andrew. It's a cornerstone ETF in his portfolio. Uh, a no from Howard because he doesn't believe you actually need exposure to uh, to resources in your portfolio. IDP Education, I hold from both. Prometicus, I hold from both. Fisher and Paykel, a hold from both. Both would buy ResMed at these levels if you're comparing the two. And Chuas, Chuas, a no from Howard, a hold from Andrew, but he prefers Telstra in that sector uh, at under $4. Andrew Wyler from DP Advisory, good to see you, mate. Thank you for that. Enjoy the rest of the week. Cheers, Andrew. Howard Coleman. Howard Coleman from Team Invest, likewise. Good to have you aboard as well in the studio. Uh, If you've got any stocks where you'd like me to put to our expert panel, go to osbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us the stocks using at osbiz.tv. Stick around, the pulse is next.